that was exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a great opportunity. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Victoria, your co-host, and I am here this week to introduce the guest, which is Dr. Bailey Peck, and she is a medical science liaison at Takeda Pharmaceuticals. Her role involves scientific discussion, medical education, support of research opportunities, and addressing medically focused questions pertaining to short bowel syndrome, an ultra-rare disease state. Dr. Peck completed her PhD in genetics and molecular biology at the University of North Carolina. Prior to completing a two-year postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Michigan, Dr. Peck is passionate about engaging in scientific outreach and communication. Her activities range from co-directing Michigan DNA Day to judging Webster Elementary Science Fair. So she has some really great things to say about having a sense of scientific wonderlist and finding your passion in science. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Daniel and Dr. Bailey Peck. Cool. I'm so excited to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I'm sorry. It's been like a crazy day. Lots of different things at work. And, you know, I always, you know, the 5.30 p.m. is like normally when I just like sit and unwind and be like, okay, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully you can uh, use this as a relaxing and good conversation. I think a really interesting perspective because you just came out of your postdoc um, recently to go into the the position that you're in, the medical science liaison, right? Through gastro, mm-hmm. like gastroenterology at Takeda or te- Takeda, sorry. <laughs> Takeda, yeah. Takeda, there you go, that's, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, and so it's interesting to get like your perspective or like your, your journey through what happened um, and why you chose this, basically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I'm always happy to talk to people because the only reason I was able to transition is through talking to people and networking so I think that you know one of the best things to do is just to talk with everybody about what you're doing and hopefully that helps somebody in some way some way yeah (laughs) definitely definitely we like to start off with a like a question that kind of like most people can probably relate to and that's like what song best describe your describes you or your life and like why why that song basically yeah so and <laughs> I, I remember this from your uh, podcast interview that I listened to and you know I, I kind of I thought about this a little bit and you know the song that I think best describes me is um, sung by a modest mouse called the world is at large and I hate saying this Ooh. just because one, I love Modest Mouse, but sometimes their songs are a little bit sad. But this is probably my song. And I think the reason why I think that this is a song that describes my life really is because the themes about it are about never settling and to keep moving forward. Everything will be okay. And, you know, just making sure that you're finding ways to get what you want out of life. And even if you don't know well, what they are, you just look for them. Yeah, that's a really good message to, like, go by, not just, like, um, like through hard stuff, but also, like, through, like, even the, like, the good things, like, to basically be the best that you can be and go where you kind of, like, want to go and see what happens. 
Yeah, exactly. I guess, yeah, and it kind of emphasizes, like, the the wanderlust you really have to have a little bit of when you're going into academia, where, you know, it's hard to stay in the same place for a long period of time. You always have to be thinking, okay, well, four years here, and then two years here, and then four years here, and it's a constant movement in academia, and you have to be okay with that. Yeah, I think that's something also that's that, like, um, that people might overlook or might not think about when they're thinking about academia. Because like in other, <clears throat> at least in other, um, in other fields, you like, say like economics or something, you get your degree, and then you get your job, and then you'll probably stay there. Or you'll move when you mm-hmm. get another job. But like the way that it works for science is like, okay, undergrad, and then graduate school, someplace different, or maybe the same. And then postdoc, someplace different, and then maybe another postdoc or um do like an internship somewhere and then you're always like moving and changing and that's yeah that's something that people need to remember or keep in mind when the determining whether or not they want to do a PhD or academia in general because um, then even sometimes like this happened to my PI before I joined the lab but um, so and this also happens to a lot of other PIs where they they're like housed here and they are basically here for like five, six, seven, maybe even 10 years. But then at some point they'll like move on um, either like to better, like for a better position or um, like maybe better facilities or something. And like graduate students may or may not want to follow them depending on what their life situation is. And so Mm -hmm. like, that's another thing to maybe think about. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's so tough in academia in that sense, because you don't necessarily always get a choice of where you're going to be. You know, I mean, after grad school, it's kind of like, okay, well, where are the jobs and where can I go from here? And, and you know, with your PI situation, do you have to work for 10 years before you get a little bit more of a choice in where you go? Or can you make uh, some of those decisions early on and, and get closer to where you want to be like family or whatever? Yeah, that's a really good point. Especially if you're if you're really dead set on uh, studying a specific type of like science, and that science is basically only in like this university versus this university or something like that. Or if you go to a university that doesn't have that science, you basically have to build it up um, either yourself or with other people that may or may not follow you. Exactly. So, um, and then there's a, another one that we wanted to talk about. Um, which uh, the reason why it's like, I want to ask, like, if you can describe basically what you studied in your postdoc in about 30 seconds or less. Um, and the reason why that is, is because mostly we want to basically talk about you and your journey and how you developed as a scientist, basically. And the science is, is very important, but. Um, yeah, no, I can definitely talk about that. It's kind of similar to what I did in my undergrad in my grad school. But what I was working on in my postdoc was at the University of Michigan, and it was in the Department of Surgery. So our lab was really interested in understanding the mechanisms behind some of the weight loss and metabolic improvements after bariatric surgery, so like weight loss surgery. And so I was coming from my um, grad school role where I was looking at how stem cells are responding to environmental factors like diet and nutrition. And so in my postdoc, I applied that to a post-surgical model and tried to identify how food and microbes are communicating with the gut after surgery. And so specifically, I was kind of studying mucus. 
know, gut mucus, which, you know, Team Slime is still recruiting if anybody's interested. But we are looking at how bacteria are releasing extracellular vesicles or vesicles from food and what decisions are being made by the gut to basically allow those vesicles to pass through the mucous membrane and interact with the intestine. So that was my research in a nutshell. Microbes are a very big thing right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> microbiome and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think it's relevant, but we don't know much very, very much about it at all. So. Yeah. So. Super important work, which is interesting because, like, uh, I know there's like basic science and translational science, but I feel like all like basic science I like to call discovery science. Because, like, you discover, like, new and interesting things that people may not know about. And it's really exciting to kind of, like, as me as a scientist, it's really exciting to, like, kind of, like, figure something out and know something that maybe, like, no one else knows. And then Mm -hmm. it's super exciting, again, to share that information to other people and see their excitement in learning this new information. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that that's like kind of the joy of science, right? Like it's not, I mean, some people definitely get enjoyment just from like the actual lab work. But I think the best part of science and probably why I went to a communication type job is telling people about it. Because it is cool. It's fun. Yeah, it actually leads into my next kind of question, which is like, where are you from? And then like, how has your life from maybe your home influenced your career choice if it has? Um, yeah. And I wasn't quite sure where you're going to go with this question. Uh, But, you know, locationally, I'm from Colorado. But I think the best answer for that particular topic is mostly just, like, I'm from my family. And um, in terms of, like, my family, we have this, like, generational emphasis on education. So, you know, my grandmother immigrated to the United States from Paraguay to pursue a college degree. And, you know, she, you know, went as far as that she could and then got married and um, really instilled that same emphasis on education into my mom. And so, you know, there's just been this overall goal in my family to really just pursue the highest education that we could. Um, And then my father, similarly, he, he was an army brat. So he actually ended up starting college very young. And he did this through a summer program where he went and studied lasers at the University of Southern California in his junior year. And they basically just asked him to stay on and finish his project and finished high school while he was still in college. Um, And so like, there's just kind of been this emphasis of like, just go and figure out what you can learn. And then after that, you can determine what you want to do. And so, you know, that's kind of the reason why I was like, well, if I don't know what to do, I'll just you know, keep on learning as much as I can. That's like a really interesting like philosophy because like no one in my, like I'm a first generation like college student. So mm-hmm. like, uh, like basically no one in my family knew like how to navigate like college applications and stuff like that. So like my mom was basically like, okay, you like you do what you want to do and you learn what you have to learn. And then if that, like if that be- turns into a viable career, then basically go for it. Yeah, I think that's a huge challenge. Like, I mean, my significant other also is a first generation and he just really struggled with like learning even just how, how to apply to college, how to get the funding to do college, things like that, where, you know, I really benefited from having, you know, parents that, that did 
have that experience and and were so involved just in terms of like the application process for me like they were the ones who are like okay well how do we apply for funding and what grants can we apply for and I don't know it's a completely different world if you have no familial experience with it it's hard it's I think it's really amazing that you know you did that and we're able to get as far as you you did because it's hard. Yeah, and then I, I do like I do appreciate the fact that like um this has become more of a I would say like maybe common thing where like there are resources available for students who do come from backgrounds that are like um first generation college students so that they can get like some help or the resources that they need to to basically try to navigate those those obstacles. So that's something that I think is really interesting in terms of not just like as time goes on, like people are realizing that there there are certain groups that need more help versus, um, but there's also like um, like where I come from, I'm from, from like a small island and like people basically never leave the, like the island or they'll leave only if there is a extenuating circumstance or something like that, that like forces them to leave. Going to college, first of all, was, was uh, an interesting navigation but then after that going into grad school where basically like nobody in my on my island could like determine like what's going to happen next um it was a little bit scary but it was also super exciting to me <laughs> to like kind of navigate this um kind of field of unknowns <laughs> mm-hmm. no, I think that's so true I guess also just like having the ability to communicate so easily like even this you know, the app that we're using Anchor, I feel like just having the access through the internet to find these resources to talk with people, like it's improved so much in the last, you know, 10 years that, you know, I think that a lot of these barriers are coming down a little bit more. And hopefully, you know, just connecting with other people who are having similar experiences is able to, I guess, help anybody who wants to make the transition do it. Yeah, that's like the main point of the podcast is to like try to help people see that there are people like them or similar and kind of let them know that they're not alone, basically. The next question I want to ask was about like what you're doing now, basically, and like what is maybe like a a typical, I don't want to say typical because I know like things change like on a daily daily basis, even um, with like all like most jobs, but like what is like basically what you would do as a medical liaison? for people who maybe don't know what that what that is or what that means. So yeah, it's going to be different no matter what company you work for. But um, so I'm a medical science liaison, which it falls under careers in medical affairs, which if you think about a pharmaceutical company, they're typically divided into two main branches. One is medical affairs and then the other is commercial. And the commercial, you know, are the ones that are involved with selling a drug. Whereas medical are involved more with like the scientific development, knowledge, clinical trials, that type of thing. And so my role as a medical science liaison is essentially an outward face of the company. So I interact primarily with um, the physicians and other healthcare providers in the field, the experts. And in my position, and again, this is going to be different no matter what company you're in, but I... um, do a lot of like scientific engagement. So talking with experts, figuring out what they're thinking about in my disease area, and also addressing any questions that doctors have about how a certain product works and um, adverse events, safety, that type of thing. 
And then separate to that, I also get to work with physicians who are thinking about running their own clinical trials. And I basically um, work with them to learn about applying for funding through our company. So it's like kind of like a program officer that you would see at the NIH, if you're more familiar with that, Mm -hmm. is part of my role as a medical science liaison. Um, But otherwise, I kind of just connect people within the company externally and externally internally. You did your PhD and then you did a postdoc and then you went into this um, field of communication, science communication, or kind of like people to people. Um, But like, I was wondering, like, how did your PhD or postdoc kind of help you, um, like, with what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, I think it's helped a lot. So the people that become medical science liaisons, because they're interacting with the scientific and medical community, are typically thought of of, as experts in their field. Um, And so in my case, you know, my PhD and my postdoc were all involved in intestinal epithelial biology. Um, and stem cells and proliferation, that type of thing. And so in my job right now, I'm considered a scientific expert in a similar field, um, a GI field, but the product that I'm supporting is also a growth factor. So it relates pretty closely with my PhD and postdoctoral work. So in that sense, like doing the PhD, doing the postdoc helped me get this job. But the other aspect of, um, you know, doing the PhD and postdoc is, a lot of my job is keeping current on the literature. So I do a lot of reading. I um, have to analyze any data that's coming in and kind of figure out what it actually means and how I can communicate that. And a lot of these aspects of my job, I learned, you know, doing my PhD, going out and giving presentations, symposiums, lab meeting, that type of thing. Um, and so all of those same skills are kind of translatable into what I'm doing now. Oh, wow, that's super cool. And it's pretty interesting that you bring up transfer, like transferable skills, because that's like another big thing that uh, people are realizing more and more about like things that you can transition from what you're doing in science or even a PhD to some like something that is more like communications based or like business, maybe business oriented and stuff like that. I think that's really important for PhDs to really think about. And it's, it's a hard thing to kind of translate what you're doing specifically in the lab, because, you know, you get so detail oriented about like, oh, I know how to do Western blots. But like, you have to be able to describe that in a way that applies more broadly, and is more realistic when you're thinking about transitioning, if you are thinking about transitioning. Great advice. (laughs) So um, one thing that I want to also talk about, because um, we also wanted to know maybe like if you have any, if you have had any reservations about applying to a PhD or postdoc program, because I know some students um, might or might not have um, like reservations based on like particular things. Um, I know when I was applying, the, the biggest reservation was that I don't see people who are like me, or there's nobody who comes from my background. Um, but the way that I kind of like overcame this is like finding community um, and other people and my cohort here at the University of Michigan. I think that any kind of like transition from what you're doing to, you know, any kind of unknown, you're going to have reservations. And I think that's important that you do. You can't just blindly go in and say, oh, yeah, I want to do this. And this is the only thing I want to do. You have to think about all the things that could possibly happen or, you know, just all the considerations. Um, for me, I, well, when I was in college, I went to Colorado college and I was, I was certain 
that I was going to be a medical doctor. And, you know, I had done all the pre-med courses. I was, you know, in my junior year, I took a, uh, an EMT uh, class. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll get some EMT experience. It'll look really good on my med school applications. And in doing so, I did these like ride-alongs on ambulances and went in and helped in the ER. And I realized that I, I'm not, I wouldn't make it as a doctor. I was like, I can't do this. This isn't really what I want to do. This is it's stressful. I, I didn't like the idea of like physically having somebody else's life in my hands. That's scary. And it was nerve wracking. And so I went to my, my advisor, my college advisor, and I, I told her my reservations and she suggested I get some research experience. Like maybe because I still like science, I should think about research, which was a career I hadn't even thought of. Like I didn't really even know what a scientist was, if I'm honest, until that moment when she suggested people could be scientists, which I know short-sighted, but like, you know, I was young. And oh, no, no, no. Like completely normal. I find that like a lot of people when they are like growing up or like even in college, like people don't know like that science is a, like being a scientist is a viable career. I didn't like, even know my professors either. were scientists. Like it just didn't even cross my mind. That's also very true. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I was just like, okay, like science, like how does that, how do I make money or like how do I get a career out of this? Like <laughs> I'm not... Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory or Jimmy Neutron, you know? <laughs> exactly. I, I was, like, completely blindsided by the suggestion. But, like, she told me to apply for REUs, the research experience for undergraduates through, like, NSF and, like, other programs for college students to get research experience. And so I did that. I went and I did a summer at the Jackson Laboratory in Maine. And I fell in love with science. Like, I had a great mentor who, like, really inspired me that, uh, research was, you know, a viable career for me, and it was fun. Um, and so after that, I went back to school and basically had a change around what I was doing with my life since I was no longer thinking med school. But, you know, in the end, I decided to do extra experiences, just kind of figure out whether or not I actually wanted to be a scientist. Like, is one two-month trial of science enough to, like, determine your rest of your life? Um, <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> And so I went and did an IRTA, an intermural research training program through the NIH and worked for two years. And after that, I really decided like grad school would be a good option for me in the sense that, you know, I still enjoy doing research. I saw that there were a number of different careers. I knew what types of science I was interested in. And I had an idea of what I wanted to do for the next couple of years. So like I did a lot of work to figure out if I actually wanted to go to grad school. And the postdoc is a whole nother conversation, but I think the PhD was right for me. The postdoc was, was hard because I didn't want to be a postdoc. I didn't want to do a postdoc. I mean, everybody's a postdoc after they graduate with a PhD, but I didn't want to do an actual postdoc. The challenge I faced when I was looking at, you know, careers after my PhD is that a lot of the careers that sounded most interesting to me, you needed a little bit more experience to get that entry job. And so when I was just kind of facing a lot of different options where I didn't feel like I was qualified and, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of response to applications. I then went forward and like applied for a postdoc and found something I thought would be a good fit based on my experience, just with the hope of getting some experience to kind of figure out a little bit more about what options I did have after my PhD. I mean, every step is going to be a challenge. That's true. And then also like, I guess your, what your 
end career goal is and like maybe you don't need a postdoc or maybe you do need to like do maybe a postdoc and then maybe an internship or something um but like this is a really i guess a really good um point that like you know things things will work out depending on you know how you per perceive like your situation basically so like you didn't want to go into like medicine but then you sought like some advice from someone who gave you kind of a kind of an idea or kind of a an option to maybe expand on your interest of science and that led to to this wonderful career you have now <laughs> and it could have easily gone another way if you if you basically did like something else I was like if they're like oh what you don't like medicine then like do economics or something like that <laughs> or you know it could have like went a completely different way and I think um, another thing to point out is that like the like the mentorship that you got um, and people like depending on who it is but a lot of people don't really realize how good a mentor is until maybe a little bit later in their life and like I think that really good mentors deserve like a round of applause basically because like they kind of like shape and determine whether or not you have like a you you can have like a really good I guess path if that makes sense <laughs> no it does I mean you can't get to where you are in any career without like a good mentor I don't think and I mean I can pinpoint the exact moments where you know a mentor said something to me that made you know the biggest difference in my life and like how I was thinking about things and where I wanted to be and so, you know, I think that this is true for starting grad school or a postdoc. The most important thing that you can decide on is your mentor. It doesn't matter necessarily what you're researching. And although, you know, depending on the person, maybe that's more important. But like, I think that without having a good mentor, your experience is going to be, I guess, a little bit less, you know, <laughs> less safe, less enjoyable, you know, less <laughs> meaningful, all of that. That's awesome that you say that because I was, uh, as I was uh, bringing around the student who was interested in the University of Michigan, I was basically telling him what you just said and um, letting him know like, yes, your project may change, people in the lab may change, but like the one most likely constant is going to be like your mentor um, or PI um, because unless like they die or they move, <laughs> which is an unlikely circumstance or somewhat rare but when choosing like a lab or um, an environment determining your success is like your mentor unless like you, you can be very successful even if you have a bad mentor but you can work a lot more at that it's going to be that much harder just to get ahead yeah you're going to work harder for it and then also like I feel like there's just uncertainty you know I have friends who are not necessarily in the best place with their mentor. And it's just like every day seems like a constant fear and stress and worry about like what, what the mentor, what the, the lab environment's going to bring just because they don't have that same support um, that you would have if you had a, a you know, a, a good mentor. And, you know, grad school is one of the most challenging things that anybody can enroll in. And, without having somebody who you know is going to have your back, who's going to be standing there with you, who's going to be like supporting you and also fighting for you, like making sure that you have those opportunities, that you're um, being acknowledged, that you are, you know, being put up for the various awards, whatever thing that you need to get onto that next stage in your life without having somebody who's there for you, really believing in you. 
to survive in grad school. <laughs> yeah, I guess that already goes into like my my next question, which is like, if you have any advice for someone thinking about what you're, what you're doing right now, so being a medical liaison, science liaison, um, someone who is maybe doing their PhD, like what would you kind of let them know? I mean, so I guess my advice about mentors, you know, applicable to, applicable to like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in terms of like getting into an MSL position, a medical science liaison position, I think the most important things that you can do are to network. So go and talk with people, do um, informational interviews, because most of my job is networking. And then the second aspect of it is just like becoming an expert in your field, making sure that you're having that clinical experience, that you're able to talk to doctors, that you are becoming more respected for what you do and what you know. And then going to conferences, doing presentations, speaking, because a lot of my job is like oral presentations and talking with people and networking, but... So all of those things that can demonstrate that you can do these aspects of the job are, are the unteachable things, essentially, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's very good, very good advice. Like, what is your favorite thing to do outside of, like, work? Um, I mean, scientists are normal people. <laughs> but I guess I have, like, a lot of interest. I think one of the things that I do, you know, every week without fail is, you know, I have some friends and we go and play, like, pub trivia together and I love this because you know with my job right now I travel like two to three sometimes four days a week and so if I can have that one thing where I know that I'm gonna come home and be able to see friends and you know catch up with people that I don't see very often I think that's one of my favorite things to do um but other things I do I play yoga we play board games I have two dogs so um a lot of my life is spent around you know walking them going and playing at the park with them I mean I feel like I have a normal life, although it's been a little bit busy since this transition. So I'm still working on my work-life balance. And is there anything that you want to tell other people either um, in general in terms of projects going on or anything you want to maybe advertise? So if you're, well, I guess like the things that I did that I was really involved in in grad school where I did a lot of like extracurricular things. I was involved with DNA Day at the University of North Carolina when I was in grad school. And I worked with um, a couple of grad students at the University of Michigan to really develop that into a thing um, at the University of Michigan. So I'd say just like find something that you're interested in and get out of the lab and just enjoy yourself and, and give back to the community if you can. Um, I guess my biggest advice is like if you're in lab, find time outside of lab to enjoy yourself. <laughs> Listen <laughs> to people maybe if they are interested in talking to you through LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. People can absolutely connect with me. I'm normally pretty responsive, although I might be, you know, a couple days slow. <laughs> makes sense. But please reach out to me if you have questions. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast episode. And I'm just here for the outro to remind you guys that you can follow me, Victoria, on Twitter at V-O-V-A-S-Q-U-E-Z underscore. And you can follow Daniel and his handle is at Daniel Salas, Daniel underscore S-A-L-A-S 671. And of course, you can follow our podcast at Real Science Life. So we look forward to having you back and thanks for listening.